0: One more thing I want to mention, also I mentioned this last week, but I want to repeat it because I'm getting very excited, because um, we're just about ready to go to publish. Uh, the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes that Very Smart Couples Make, if you would like a copy of the pre-publication, it's not yet being published. I believe, I'm not sure yet, even to this moment, I believe I'm going to go with Artscroll on it. I'm still in, in sort of debating, but it looks like I'm going to go that way. But in any case, it won't be in the stores until at least Rosh Hashanah because publishing is a whole Sugya into itself. So, if you would like now to get a copy of the pre publication, it's the book, um, it's the full book, it's the full uh, content. Um, if you go to com, you can find on the top there's a banner and you could click in it. You'll, if not, you could go to Amazon. And uh, if you click on Amazon, and the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. You can purchase it there. Again, it's easiest at theshmuz.com. T h e s h m u z dot com. If you'd like a copy of the pre-publication of the ten really dumb mistakes the very smart couples make, again, either go to theshmuz.com or you go to Amazon to pick up a copy. Um, I think it's very worthwhile. And also, the big advantage is until we actually go to publication, you have a chance to uh, comment to let me to get me feedback: what works, what doesn't work. And I really am interested. So, so Josh, I'm waiting. Josh, we got your feedback. I haven't heard yet. But uh, just to see, it, to let you know I'm paying attention. Um, I cannot start without Edward this evening. Edward underwent a uh, hip replacement and uh, he's supposed to be here. So I'm I'm going to... St- oh, he is here. Yes. Shalom Aleichem. Christ tzadik. There you are. Hi. I hope you're well. I hope you're recuperating. And I hope uh, everything is going well for you i will take questions later and then i'll get i'll get to here i guess um okay at any time please feel free to type in questions in the q and a uh and um okay josh i see you did come in also someone let me know please if it is clear if you could see me clearly and you could hear me clearly just type in please into the q and a i don't look at the chat but i do look at the q and a uh okay aram thank you yes okay good please feel free to type in questions there uh and um and at the end, we'll take questions live. But if you're shy and you don't want to raise your hand, you could certainly at any time type it in, and we could uh, we could work that way. Okay, let's begin. In this week's Parshas Kedoshim, we have the opening pasuk, and Dabriel Kobanei Israel vamartalem Kedoshim Hashem tells the entire congregation, the entire nation of Israel, Kedoshim to you. You shall be holy, ki kadosh ani Hashem because I, Hashem your God, am holy. And a very well-known Ramban on this Pasuk describes what does it mean to be holy. What does kedusha mean? And Ramban explains really what this refers to is being porish, separating yourself from pleasure. And the Ramban explains, the Torah allows us to do many, many things. In fact, almost every activity... That a human being can do is allowed within the Torah context, within certain confines, and therefore explains Ramban. A person could be a manuvel, he could be decadent, he could be depraved within the framework of the Torah. Meaning, the Torah says you have to eat certain kinds of foods, but it doesn't say how much food you have to eat. The Torah says you have to act in certain ways, but the Torah doesn't define the limits on it. So, for instance, a person could be an Orthodox Jew. Within the confines of the Torah and eat like a glutton. He could drink like a, like a drunkard. And apparently he wouldn't violate any prohibitions because it was kosher wine, kosher food. And therefore the Torah says, Kadoshim to you. You should be porish. Do not overindulge. And <clears throat> do not become decadent. And <clears throat> do not be a novel, but you should be prushim and a most You should separate yourself from extras. Only take what you need and <clears throat> don't take more. And that's Kadoshim to you. Okay, I'd like to ask a very interesting question that I believe most of us sort of stumble with. And that is, are pleasures good, bad, okay, sort of in moderation, not at all, never, always? Where do pleasures fit into the Torah system? And I'll be honest with you, if you ask most from people, I think often you'll find people get it kind of mixed up and kind of a little bit confused. And I'll share with you part of the why we get it confused. If you look at the way the Torah describes pleasures, you might come to the following contradiction. On the one hand, with told Kedoshim to you, be porish, separate yourself from any of these excess pleasures. Not only that, tzaddik Ochil Asovel Nafsho. A tzaddik only eats barely enough that he needs to keep himself alive. More than that, here's a Gemara. a Yoshe Batinus, one who sits in a fast Nikra Kodesh. He's called holy, and we learn that now from Nazir. So it's very clear that the Torah considers pleasures dangerous and the Torah warns us not to engage in them or certainly to be God in it. And yet, in the very same context, we'll see the exact opposite. The Yerushalmi says, A man will be omed li a adin. Anything that your eyes saw and you were allowed to eat and you didn't eat it, even though it was permitted, you're going to have to answer to Hashem. And The Gemara Yishalmi says that any pleasure that's there, and you were permitted, and you decided I don't want, you're going to be have to answer for it. Not only that, the Gemara says Kalayoshi Batinis Nicrochote. Whoever sits in a fast is considered a sinner. Now that is a bit of a contradiction because the Gemara just told us earlier in another portion Kalayoshi Batinis Nicrochodesh. Whoever sits in a fast is considered holy. Yet it's telling us the opposite. So. These things called pleasures. Where do they fit into the Torah? Are they good, bad, and different? Okay, moderation, excess, not. So let me begin this process with sort of an interesting observation. I was once dealing with a uh, bal tshuva, and he really he came to he came to our religion at a kind of more much more advanced age, um, and all of his life he had been eating at McDonald's, and he found it very challenging. And even though he was now from every once in a while he would slip, and he found himself eating a McDonald's. And here was the question, what bracha does he make? What bracha does he make? He's about to eat a cheeseburger, what bracha does he make? So, it's a Mufareshis in a lacha is, you do not make a bracha. Gemara calls it, Ein that's not blessing, that's disgusting, it's profane. When you take something that you're not allowed to eat, and you thank God for it, you bless God for it, That's a profanity. That's not a bracha, that's the opposite. And the same thing is true with stolen food, meaning if you're eating something that's not appropriate, it's not a bracha, it's the exact opposite. Now, the reason why that's very curious is because we have an entire category of brachas called birchas han'e'nin. We make very specific brachas on every different type of pleasure of the type of food that we eat, and they're really sequential. they go up in degrees, and they're very, very specific, and here's the question, something so mundane, something so physical, something so animalistic as eating, you're going to make a blessing on? You're going to take the pleasure, and you're going to thank God for the pleasure? That's not very holy, that's not kedoshim to you, that's not prushim to you, and if that doesn't trouble you, let me share with you a Chazal, a Gemara I believe that should. Gemara says, Shammai hazochim. When Shammai was already an elder statesman in the Kleistrol, every day of the week he would eat in honor of Shabbos. And the Gemara explains. Sunday he would go to the Shuk and he'd find a behemoth. Oh, this one's proper for Shabbos. And he'd bring that calf home. This one's going to be for Shabbos. The next day he would go and find a better one. And then he would say, Oh, the one I bought yesterday is no longer for Shabbos. He would eat that now on Monday. And he put the better one away. Tuesday he'd find an even better one. Every day he'd go to the Shuk. Every day he found a better one. So every day of the week he was eating in honor of Shabbos. Now, folks, this is Shammai Hazak The man was a dovik, he clinged to Hashem, every minute of his life was precious. The man was completely, totally spiritual. Why is he engaging, and not just engaging, but spending so much time, so much focus on what type of food. He's going to eat on Shabbos. And odder still, it's a Gemara in Kedushan that explains each Amorah what they would do in honor of Shabbos. Rav Yosef says, it's a mitzvah for you to do it more than anyone else. Therefore, Rav Safra would, specifically, he would roast the head of the fish. Rava would salt fish. Each Amora, the Gemara tells us what they would do, what types of delicacies, what types of foods they would prepare for Shabbos. And here's the question. That doesn't seem very holy, These are very, very pious, and very holy men. Why are they wasting time with such frivolous things like pleasures and and enjoyments? It sounds very difficult to understand. So let's see if we can understand the Torah's approach to pleasures and understand a little bit what the Torah wants from us. And to do that, I think we have to first begin with a very, very key distinction. And that distinction is between pleasures and passions. Pleasures are the enjoyment, the satisfaction. Passion is the appetite, the desire, the drive. Pleasures and passions are very, very distinct. And let me give you an example. Imagine you're shipwrecked on an island, and it's deserted, not a soul there. And there's nothing to eat. And for three days, you're going out hungry, hungry, more hungry than the day before. And finally, on the third day, you see under a tree a brown paper bag. You're starving, and you open it up. And you take it out, and you see it's a brittle, dry peanut butter sandwich that's been baking in the sun for six months. You pick it up, and you wolf it down. You've never eaten something with so much appetite in your life. Here's the question. How much enjoyment did you have? You certainly had a lot of passion, a lot of drive. You were very hungry, and you ate that sandwich with a tremendous amount of zeal. But how much enjoyment did you have as you felt the six-month-old bread scratching your throat, as the acrid smell of the putrid peanut butter was wafting through your nasal cavity. You had a lot of passion, a lot of desire, but very little pleasure. And that distinction is key to understand, because that distinction is the one that most people completely, completely bungle. And let me explain to you what I mean. Many people say, I'm a hedonist, I'm into pleasures, I'm pursuing pleasures. I say to anybody who says that statement, you are a liar. You are not a hedonist. You are not a specialist in pleasures. You're a baltaiva. You're like the drug addict who can't stop doing drugs, even though he no longer gets satisfaction out of it. Pursuing and pursuing, you're just being pulled by appetites, by drives. You see, pleasure is the amount of enjoyment that you take from the activity. The fact that you're a slave to something, the fact that you can't stop doing something, doesn't mean it's pleasurable. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Probably the most uncomfortable, the most torturous situation for a human being to be in is being a slave. I spoke to a person who had been a heroin addict, and he described to me that at a certain point in his addiction, he no longer could get high. The the drugs no longer had the effect on him, yet he desperately craved them. He needed them. He would steal, He would do anything for them. He absolutely had to have them, but they no longer provided any pleasure. Many, many people that you see run around saying they're pursuing pleasures, but they're not. They're about tiva. They're pulled by desires, pulled by appetites. They've long ago lost control, but this distinction between pleasures and passion is a very, very important one to make. And I'd like to share with you why most people don't make that distinction, and why many people misunderstand these two. In the 12th century, in Japan, there was a very exclusive group of samurai that were called Jinba Itai. Jinba Itai means one with the horse. You see, in those days, the mode of transportation was the horse, that was the cavalry. And one of the most effective units in the samurai army was the archers. But here was the problem. To be an archer, you pull the bow and arrow. But to pull a bow and arrow, you need two hands. Now, it would be wonderful if you could put a fellow with a bow and arrow on top of a horse, but there's no way that you can steer a horse when you're pulling the bow and arrow. So what they would do is, the, in the olden days, you <clears throat> get on the horse, ride to the point of battle, the archer would get off the horse and begin shooting. And this particular group, the Jim ba Itai, devised a new method. And they became so one with the horse that they learned to guide the horse just with their body weight, just with their legs. And you could see pictures of them, they even have now demonstrations of them. You'd see him riding the horse, turning left, pulling the bow and arrow, because both hands are free to shoot the arrow. And he became so one with the horse that he literally could guide the horse with his slight body motions, with leg motions, keeping both hands free to shoot the bow and arrow. Okay, a very interesting concept being one with the horse. Now let's imagine that you get to see a Jimba Itai soldier who's preparing for battle. And you see him prepare everything needed. He prepares for his horse, he prepares the oats, and he prepares the blanket because he knows that the (coughs) saddle is going to rub. And he prepares the saddle specially, and he makes sure that everything's ready for the battle, everything's ready for his horse, but he forgot one thing. He forgot to prepare for himself. He didn't prepare any food, no blanket, nothing, only prepared for his horse. You'd call that person a fool. And I'm afraid that's what we typically do. You see, we forget about half of us. We spend an inordinate, excessive amount of time focused on one part of us, that's the horse, the body. And we forget that there's another dimension to I, not the horse. There's a rider I am a horse and a rider, but it's I am the rider riding on top of the horse. And if you'd like to see a demonstration of this, I'll share with you an interesting example. Imagine that one day you're walking down the street, and there's a voice in your head that says, Hey, turn there. Who said that? And you walk further, and then the voice says, No, no, go go that way, go that way. Hey, who said that? And you go further, and, and then you hear a voice that says, No, 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 stop now, because I want to do... Hey, who's talking? Now, if that really occurred, and you weren't very tired, or whatever it might be, you'd probably check yourself into a psychiatric ward, because if you're hearing voices in your head, there's something wrong with you. You're demented, unless you happen to be a human being. Because, have you ever found the following experience? Have you ever been plagued by a jealous thought? I don't want to think this. I don't want to be jealous. But the thoughts just keep coming into my brain. Or maybe it was Shabbos. And you decide I'm not thinking about business on Shabbos, absolutely not. And suddenly these thoughts become coming into your brain. What? Get out of here! I don't want them. Or maybe it's an image, an image of something that you're not supposed to think about, and it comes into your brain. Get out of here! But it comes back. Get out! What are you doing here? Now here's the question: uh, uh, wh- 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 where, where are these things coming from? Where are these things coming from? I'm here. Where? Who? Where are they from? So I'd like to share with you that great revelation that takes us a long time to realize. And that revelation is, I am not the brain. I am the guy inside the body. I think through this brain. I see through my eyes. But I'm the one who tells the arms and legs to move. But I am not the brain. And if you'd like to understand where these thoughts come from, there's a nefesh Bahami, There's an animal soul within man that has various appetites and drives and desires. There's a horse. And that horse wants to eat, that horse wants to do what it wants to do, that horse has been programmed with all of the instincts necessary to keep itself alive, and I'm the rider, but the problem is, I'm inside this body. And if you fundamentally like to understand yourself, I have a muscle that I once explained but it's worth repeating, if you'd like to fundamentally understand the I and the horse, it's really quite simple. Imagine you see a family, five school-age kids, they're eating dinner, and right after dinner, they all vie for the one-family computer. Now, depending on which child gets control of the keyboard will determine what shows on the screen. If one child wants to do his math homework, we're going to see that. If one child wants to play a game, we're going to see that. But whichever child gets control of the keyboard, that's what's going to show on the screen. But all five children are watching the screen. that's what's happening with me. You see, I am here. And then there's a voice inside that says, Oh, I want to do. And suddenly it takes over control. It takes over the keyboard and starts pulling me to something that I may not want. Or another voice comes from another place and takes over my conscious mind and brings me to another place. And the first step that you have to understand if you really want to take control of your life if you want to master your life, is I am not the thoughts that cross my brain, and not every thought that crosses my mind is good for me, and not every thought that crosses my mind is true. And again, if you've ever worked on any area of life, certainly jealousy, or not thinking certain thoughts, or if you've worked on any area, you quickly realize that getting control of your flow of consciousness is the key to understanding yourself, and is the key to growing. But you see, you have to understand that there's a fight within me. Two voices, and it's really more than two voices, because the Nefesh Bahami has many voices that it speaks in. But there's an animal soul, and there's me, and we're fighting. We're vying for control. Who controls this computer? Who controls the conscious thinking mind? Whichever one takes control will control the keyboard, but all of us have to watch it. And now we come to that key... what are pleasures are pleasures sins are they mitzvahs the answer is they are neither and the Silas Sharm explains to us that pleasures are tools to be used all pleasures in this world are made and supposed to function as aids and supports to give you a certain nachas ruach to give you a certain yeshiva das you need certain pleasures because you have a horse You ride that horse, that horse has needs, and those needs have to be fulfilled. But you see, pleasures are tools or traps. They're tools to be used if the rider uses them, they're traps if the horse takes over. And if you'd like to understand the answer to Shammai, it's really quite simple. He was an extremely holy Jew, and the rider was totally, totally in control. And he used pleasures because those pleasures are proper and right to be used because Hashem wants us to enjoy our stay on this planet. And Shabbos and Onik Shabbos is something that's proper, but they're tools to be used. You give the horse what it needs so that the horse propels you, so that the horse pulls you. You Oneg Shabbos properly, you have the proper enjoyment on Shabbos, and it brings you to a sense of manuchas and Nefesh, and brings you a sense to experiencing Hashem on a different level. When the Ramban says, kiddoshim to you, he doesn't mean be an aesthetic. Don't become a monk and go hide in some cave. Quite the opposite. Avoid excess. Avoid the scent of being controlled by the appetites, by the drives. You see, the question is, who's controlling? Is it the horse or is it the rider? And all you have to see to determine <clears throat> is where the voice comes from. If the rider says, let's use this pleasure as a tool to become closer to Hashem it's holy, it's great. If the horse is, (laughs) and the rider has no control, then you know he's lost control. Now there will be times when the horse needs, and the rider will say, okay, under these circumstances, to this extent, in this manner, then that's proper. Because again, the rider is controlling, and pleasures are exactly that. Tools to be used, tools to allow a person to become closer to Hashem, and tools that allow a person to have the yeshiva das, and nachas ruach. And with that being said, I'd like to share with you what I call the four rules of pleasure. And to do this, I want you to imagine with me the following. Imagine that uh, I am a hedonist, and not one of those uh, slaves to his appetite. I'm a real, diet in the world, real big-deal hedonist. And I decide I'm going to have as much pleasure as humanly possible. I'm going to heap it on pleasure. The only problem is, I don't have enough money. But lo and behold, I win the lotto, the biggest winning in U.S. history, $365 million. Whoa! So I set out on my excursion of pure pleasure-seeking. Okay, so here's what I do. The first thing I do is I buy my private island in the Pacific, no better place in the world to enjoy yourself than there, my entire entourage of butlers and maids, and of course chefs for breakfast, it's going to be Mediterranean, lunch is going to be Italian chef, my French chef for dinner, and I arrange my entire pleasure excursion on my private Pacific island. Everything is great and ready to go. First morning, I pop out of bed, open my eyes, and I show up to the breakfast table, and the waiter already knows my request. It's Belgian waffles, and he brings them out to the table, covered, of course, because we can't let them lose any heat right from the griddle, and I'm anticipating the pleasure. I can't wait to bite into the fluffiness, the crispness, yet the sweetness, and I know they're covered with maple syrup from Vermont, and it's with Hereford cows, just the right cream, and it's perfect. And my mouth is drooling, just waiting for it. He brings it out, takes off the cover. I take my knife, I take my fork, I bite into the first bite, and wow, the taste, the aromas, it's 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 inc- well, I mean, it does taste good, and then I take a second bite. <clears throat> and a third bite, and then my mind sort of drifts, and I discover the very first rule of pleasure. The first rule of pleasure is the sizzle is greater than the steak. You ever notice they always sell the sizzle, and they show that the steak never lives up to the sizzle. You see, every pleasure is over-promised and underdelivered. The hype, what it's going to be, it's going to be incredible, it's going to be unbelievable, and it's okay, it's good, but, uh, you, know, you know, at the end of the day, just waffles, you know? Okay, so I discovered the first rule of pleasure, but I am not letting that daunt my pleasure-seeking. I am the ultimate headiness. So I continue eating, and I eat my first serving, and I ask for a second serving, and I had enough waffles. Now I tell them to bring my private blend of Rocky Road ice cream because, of course, with whipped cream, a little bit of chocolate syrup, because every meal requires a dessert, and I lace into the most delicious, incredible ice cream I've ever tasted. The first bite, the second bite, the third bite, and then I realize I'm stuffed. And I discover the second rule of pleasure. The second rule of pleasure is every pleasure has a limit. It might be 20 minutes, it might be an hour, but there's a very short window of time. If you sit down to an hour-long meal... The amount of actual intense pleasure of eating that you have might be 15 minutes, but at a certain point you're stuffed and it's over. And the first rule of pleasure is every pleasure is oversold and underdelivered. The hype is much greater than the actual pleasure. The second rule of pleasure is that every pleasure has a limit and that limit is very short. But I am not stopping here. This is not going to stop my pleasure seeking. So I go out about my day and I prepare the meal, and I prepare everything, I tell my chefs what to do, and I come the next day ready, <clears throat> because I have to be well rested, I slept a good night's sleep, I come to the second day's breakfast, and I tell the waiter, let's have that again, because those Belgian waffles were perfect. And he brings it out, <clears throat> in white like gloves, same tray, <clears throat> hot with the cover, puts it down at my place, takes off the cover, and there I see them, they're incredible, crisp, fluffy, <clears throat> with the maple syrup, the whipped cream on top, just like yesterday, it's incredible and I can't wait. I have that same anticipation, that same incre- and I cut it in, I take my first bite, and something's wrong. They just I don't know, they taste good, they, very good, but, but not quite like they tasted yesterday. And I discover the third rule of pleasure. <clears throat> the third rule of pleasure is the first time is the best time, but there's only one time. The first time you drove a car when you were a teenager, it was incredible. It was unbelievable. When I was a young Rebbe, I owned my first home. It was a very small, I was the richest man in America. It was I own a house. And the first time you experience something is the best time. But there's only one first time. The first rule of pleasure is, the sizzle's always greater than the steak. The second rule of pleasure is every pleasure has a limit, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but that's it. The third rule of pleasure is the first time is the best time, but there's only one first time. But I am not giving up my life for pleasure. Uh-uh. So that's it. I get on my private helicopter, and I head right to the Mercedes-Benz to buy a Mercedes in every color of the rainbow. I then go jump, jump, bungee cord, jumping off the Eiffel Tower. I then go climbing the pyramids. I spend my time very, very focused, and then I come back after my 8 month excursion and I discover the fourth rule of pleasure. You see, the fourth rule of pleasure is that every pleasure after it's gone, it's done, and it was. You see, I had a great time yesterday. I went on a cruise, it was unbelievable, I had a great time. Every pleasure happens and then it leaves you empty and no different than you were before. As a matter of fact, a lot more empty, and usually a lot more bored, listless, because it doesn't fill some very real needs within you. And these four rules of pleasure are key to understand. Number one, it's always the hype. it's always going to be the best thing in the world, but the steak never lives up to the sizzle. Every pleasure has a limit. It might be 20 minutes, a half hour, but that's it. And the first time is the best time, but there's only one first time. And more than that, any pleasure in existence, once you had it, it's gone. Now the odd part is that these rules of pleasure are universal. In every culture, every nation, every time period, all pleasures are limited and passing. And in a very short time, they're gone. And more than that, they're gone. They leave you with a sense of emptiness because there's a rider on that horse and you fed that horse well but the rider is empty. And would you like to know the relevance of that point? Number one, every hedonist is bound to fail. If you set your goal in life to have as much pleasure as you possibly can, I guarantee you're going to fail. But why? Because you weren't created for that purpose. You see, all pleasures that we hotly pursue, anything that we follow after, yes, it looks very appealing, but it never lives up to what it should be, it's always gone in a moment, it's maybe 20 minutes, a half hour, and more than anything, it leaves me empty, a hedonist is bound to fail, because that's not what you were created to do. And pleasures weren't created for that purpose. And now, I'd like to ask the key critical question. Gee, golly, couldn't Hashem have done a better job? I know that Hashem is very, very capable, I look at a world with such complexity and so much harmonious systems, 10 million species of living things. I know Hashem is very, very good at doing that, which Hashem did. So couldn't Hashem have made it in a way that I could have like a little bit more pleasure? Like, let the pleasures last 24 hours, let them be ongoing, let them be ever-increasing. Why is it that there are four rules of pleasure, and why is it that the headness is bound to fail? And the answer to this should be rather obvious. And then the answer is because Hashem did not create us for our station in this world. If you fundamentally like to understand life, <clears> the <throat> Sharma explains to us: there's a gym and there's a spa. Each with its plan, each with its purpose. And this is the gym. We're pretty here to grow, to accomplish, to become who we're supposed to be. And <clears throat> we've done our job here. We go to the world to come. And that's a spa. That's where we enjoy what we accomplished. When you understand that, life makes sense. In this world that we're in, we're here to grow. We're here to to accomplish, despite that being the purpose, Hashem wants us to enjoy our stay here. And Hashem is the mate Hashem is the Giver, <coughs> created for the world to come. That's the ultimate place of enjoyment. But even in our stay here, Hashem wants us to enjoy. And Hashem gave us many, many things <laughs> to give us just that. There are colors, there are fragrances, there are aromas. You look at a sunset. You look at a sky. <coughs> you look out at the at the at the forest. You see such magnificent beauty. You see how much wisdom, care, and forethought Hashem invested into the beauty of this world. You understand that Hashem wants us to enjoy. But you also have to understand that enjoyment and pleasures are exactly that, tools to be used. If you use them appropriately, you understand that you are the rider. And this is the horse, but the horse needs a certain comforts, needs certain... Listen, I need to live in a house. I need to wear respectable clothing. I need certain things because those are needs. If I use pleasures as tools to allow me to grow, then I enjoy them. They don't become my master. Quite the opposite. I use them as tools to grow and as an inner sense of harmony and an inner sense of satisfaction. I'm using my life properly. I'm using pleasures properly. And guess what? I enjoy this world. And now I want to share with you that ultimate concept that most yeshiva bachrim do not have a clue to. Let's say I give you the following challenge. What is the way to live the most pleasurable life in existence? You have a choice. You can be a Gentile with no rules or a guy in yeshiva or a young woman in yeshiva. Which way will you have more pleasure? Following the Torah lifestyle or not? Ask any self-respecting yeshiva bachl. Say, listen, I'm glad Hashem made me as a Jew. I'm very happy to keep the Torah, but no question, if I could be uh, out there in the streets, I'd be having a lot more pleasure. I mean, you know, Listen, this is great stuff. I'm not, the, but you know, at the end of the day, I'd be running around following my, you know, it'd be a lot more pleasurable. I would like to share with you that that is the exact opposite of reality. It is true that if you weren't bound by Torah law, you'd be free to follow your appetites. You'd be free to let the horse go wild. And when the horse would go wild, it would pull you and pull you and pull you. And in a very short time, you would become a slave. Watch men as they walk down. It's COVID time, so we don't watch men. But watch men in different times, and they can't keep their eyes where they're supposed to be. A man can be married to a very attractive wife, and no matter, his eyes are going every which way, wherever he, he cannot, he's a slave to his passions. And it's not just that, it's food, it's praise, it's money. When you become a slave to something, you are no longer a free man. And that is the most discomforting situation, not enjoyment at all. If you'd like to fundamentally understand our Creator and the Torah, Hashem is the ultimate giver. And Hashem wants us to enjoy. And if you use life as you're supposed to, and you follow the manufacturer's operating manual, guess what? Not only do you accomplish your mission, but you have the maximum amount of pleasure possible. You see, a car was designed a very particular way. As long as you change the oil, as long as you put gas in the tank and not sand... As long as you don't drive it at 180 miles an hour, the car will work well. But if you abuse the car, well, guess what? It doesn't work very well. The human being was created for one purpose, to grow and accomplish. When you use your life that way, there's an inner joy, there's a happiness, and pleasures of the world are there for you to enjoy. And you actually enjoy them. You're not a slave to them. You use them. They're very appropriate. They're very proper. They're holy. They're mitzvahs. The Derech Hashem explained that if you use this world as you're supposed to, you can become an alchemist. You can take the mundane and make it holy. If you're eating food on Shabbos for the purpose of making this food holy, this is a holy day called Shabbos and Hashem wants me to enjoy this food, and you have that in mind properly, you're making that food holy, that's a holy activity. You make a Berchus Anen, why? Exactly for that reason, because it's a holy activity, provided you use it properly. And you're supposed to recognize what Hashem has given to us, and you're supposed to appreciate it. If you like to know the answer to the Nazir, you see, the Nazir did something very, very questionable. He separated himself from pleasures. And that's very, very bad. But he had to do it. He had to do it, but had he been greater, he would not have to have done it. You see, the reason why the Gemara says, if you become a Nazir, you're a holy Jew, and the Gemara also says, you become a Nazir, you're a sinner, it's because both are true. If you have to separate yourself from pleasures, at certain points in your life, it's important. And at certain points in your life, you have to abstain. But you have to understand that if you're causing yourself inu nefesh, if it's a pleasure that you should be allowed, but you're not on the madriga to use it properly, you caused that, and in that sense, had you been greater, you could have used it properly. So you're both a sinner and a holy person at the same time. In the state that you're in, you have to abstain, you have to separate. That's holy at the moment but it's also true that had you been holier, you would be able to use it properly, because ultimately if a person uses his life well, and follows the Torah systems, all of the pleasures in the world Hashem created for us to enjoy, within moderation, as tools to be used, and a person should have joy, satisfaction, inner happiness, and at the same time tremendous enjoyment from the pleasures of this world. And I think this Chazal shares with us a tremendous understanding. <clears throat> what the Ramban is saying is, Kedoshim to you. Be holy. Don't separate from pleasures. Don't become a monk who sits in some cave away from everything. Be holy. Use pleasures as they're supposed to be used. Don't allow them to use you. The man owns the wealth, not the wealth owns the man. You see, when you become a slave to your passions, you're no longer a free man. What the Ramban is saying is, Prushim to you. Control your appetites. Control. Use your mind use your time well, guide yourself, you're riding a horse. You're not the horse. If you make the mistake to think, jimbi ata, I and the horse are one, you're missing the greatness of a human being. I am the rider, and many of the thoughts across my mind are not me. Many of the thoughts on my body, the nefesh bahami, and I have to control those thoughts. I have to learn to hold them back. And any pleasure in this world is a tool to be used. If you fool yourself and you misunderstand this world, you're going to be miserable, because the pursuit of pleasure cannot succeed. Number one, there are four rules to pleasure. Every pleasure, it looks great, it looks wonderful, but it very quickly and doesn't live up to the hype. Number two, every pleasure has a limit. There's just so much time you can enjoy. Number three, the first time is the best time, but there's only one first time. But number four is the most important one, and that is every pleasure is something that you had, and it's gone, and it leaves you. If you use that pleasure as something holy to propel you, then it's great, it's Kaddish. You feel fulfilled and you enjoyed that and you used it properly. But if you pursue the pleasure for the pleasure's purpose alone, then guess what? You wasted your time, there's an emptiness inside and you don't even really enjoy yourself. All you do is you allow the behema, the animal, to take charge. And I think this concept is fundamental to understanding life, to understanding the Torah system and to understanding what Hashem wants from us. And I'd like to close with a story that I think well encapsulates this concept. We live near our and and uh, we used to have a, quite a number of the fellows would come over often. I would speak there in Yeshiva and a number of the fellows became been a bias. In any case, there was a fellow who was newly in the Yeshiva and it was the first Shabbos he was at our table and uh, we would talk about different things and at a certain point he said, you know, Rabbi, maybe you can answer this question. Maybe you can answer this. He said, I asked this question to every intelligent person I could find. On college, on the campus, every professor I could find, I asked them, I could not find an answer. Rabbi, maybe you could answer the question. I said, I don't know. I'll give it a try. Let me hear what's the question. The question is, why should I have a child? Why should I have a child? But don't misunderstand. He wasn't asking, why I should I have a child? Because a child's me going to be expensive and take up my time. Uh-uh there's so much ugliness in the world, there's so much pain, why expose an innocent young child to such pain, why do it, because you want to have a kid, because you want to have a kid, you're going to do that to this child, it's not right, it's not fair, why bring a child into such an ugly world, that was his question, and I said to him, I think I can answer it, but would you like to hear the right answer, or the wrong answer, so he's Jewish, so he said, I'll take both, Okay, so I said, okay, let me tell you the wrong answer. The wrong answer to that question is, you're right. Life is very rough, and it's very dark here, and there's a lot of pain and suffering, but the world to come is so great and so spectacular that it's worth all this suffering, and in that world you'll look back and see all the suffering was nothing compared to the pleasure that you're going to have there. And I said to him, that's 100% accurate, 100% true, but it's the wrong answer. Would you like to know the right answer to the question? The right answer to the question is, if you open your eyes in the morning and you understand life, you love life, let's go! 24 hours to change myself, change the people around me, let's go! When you understand life and you're growing and accomplishing, using your life as Hashem intended you to use it, there's an inner satisfaction, there's an inner joy, it's a beautiful world, yes, there are rough spots, yes, there are going to be headaches and troubles and worries, but there's an inner joy. And it's a beautiful world with colors and rainbows and tremendous beauty. But you see, it's only if you understand life. If you live life with a purpose, if you live life as Hashem wants you to, then life is beautiful and there's so many pleasures. Yes, there are rough spots, but life itself is beautiful. And I said to him, that is the answer to the question, why do you do it to a child? Because it's the greatest opportunity in the world. Obviously, a child has a chance to gain the world to come. But even in this world, Hashem wants us to enjoy, Hashem wants us to use this world properly, but that's exactly this point. The world is but a tool, pleasures are but a tool, everything in life is but a tool to allow us to grow and accomplish, and to become closer to Hashem. And with that, I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations, for or against. Um, You can type them in if you're shy, if you're braver, you can raise your hand. We have every week the same, only two guys, two, three people are brave. Everybody else is shy and passive. No one else has questions, no one, everything was simple. By the way, the questions could be on this topic or any other topic. I have to get Ushi Parnas back. Ushi Parnas used to chide people into actually asking questions. No one has questions, no one, only, uh... all right, <clears throat> we're going to take, <clears throat> Avram, we didn't hear from you last week. Avram, you have the floor. Hi. Good evening, Rabbi. Good evening, hi.
1: Okay. Um, two things. One is um, I started reading the pre-publication. Oh, good. So oh, the only, the only, the only I had was I thought it was it was it would tell me exactly the ten mistakes and then it go into it where it just chapters. So I don't know which one is the first problem, the you second got, problem, the third problem.
0: You Got to get the page here. The first problem starts at uh, uh, page fifty-three. Yeah, you got to read a, How far did you read? You didn't read very far at all.
1: No. Oh, to- no, no, no,
0: no, no. <laughs> Let me see how it works. There are numbers. See, there's a numbering system. On the bottom of the pages, there's a number, 47, then 48, 49. And what you do is you start in the beginning, and you... <laughs> Don't jump, by, oh, please. I, I spend so much time sequentially ordering it and creating a... Oh, please, do me a favor, read it. Start in the beginning. Trust me, it's it won't kill you. It's good stuff. I, I think it's not even boring. I think it's interesting, no? Was it interesting? So far, it's interesting.
1: So not what
0: are like so we, uh, we start in the beginning? Um, but, introduction. Here we go. In the Introduction. You bec- we become experts at what our spouse does wrong. Oh. We quickly become experts at what our spouse does wrong. That's the first chapter that everybody's going to read, I know. Okay, anyway, no. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. What was your question on
1: but the second question I had was interestingly enough, it to be on that topic, um, that the, the question was is that, um, that I understand you, know, so we don't, in normal scenarios, don't try to point out our spouses' in mistakes and try to correct them. Yeah. The challenge is when, let's say, everyone agrees, both the spouses and mentors or babe all agree that they should go to therapy yeah. together. But if you go to therapy together, you're going to, if you don't say what the... What bugs you that the spouse does there's no point in therapy but if you're going to say what the spouse does you're saying in front of the spouse what the spouse does
0: wrong you want to know why most therapy fails? is that what you're trying to understand?
1: Uh, my question is is, is, uh, is, okay. that, is that okay to do? Is that, is that I don't okay know what to tell you to I
0: meet with couples all the time I hate to say this, I don't like to say this because then more people come to me but I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of couples and you know what I do? I never, ever, ever speak to the couple together. I mean, i bring them in together, hi, but then I ask him to leave or her to leave. You know why? I don't want him bashing her in front of her. I don't want her bashing him. It doesn't help. I want to hear the problem, and then I'll give the other one some advice or some approach to understand where they're coming from. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is a bad idea to bash your spouse in front of anybody, let alone a marriage therapist, marriage counselor. And if you wonder why much of marriage therapy fails, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big student in marriage therapy, but I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of difficulty finding competent, skilled, and successful marriage therapists. So um, yeah, yep, don't do it. What can I tell you? I don't know. Do, I don't know what to say. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully they won't do that. Hopefully that's not what's going to happen to marriage therapists. Hopefully the therapists will speak to you each separately. I don't know, whatever. I don't know. And any idea. I do know it's destructive it's damaging I do know almost invariably it's a misunderstanding it's he doesn't understand her she doesn't understand him and once a third party explains to each of them where the other one's coming from in a dispassionate moment not when they're yelling at each other but it it's when I talk to him and I get from him what what's bothering him and then I sit down with her and I explain to her his, his perspective it's not it's not an attack I'm not t- I'm not listen I'm I'm just here to sort of help you guys then all of a sudden she's able to hear it, and also, oh, I get, I get. Yes, I agree. It, let me t- let me be honest with you. Marriage counseling is a very, very tricky business. It's very, very difficult. Um, you do need help at certain time, and I highly recommend it. But you got to find somebody who's competent, skilled, and and has a track record of success.
1: Thank
0: you. Okay, sorry. All right, let's take the next fun and happy happy question. Josh, you got a happy question? Let's go. Happy question? Yes, happy question. A pleasure question. How could I have more pleasure? Show me, uh, Rabbi. Teach me how I could have even more pleasure in this world. Well,
2: I have many questions about this.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, go but, ahead.
2: Uh, what? One of the first things that comes to mind is, um, you know, studying in the in the Gemara and um, in Barakot seven a they talk about um, talks about you know why? Why must the why must the righteous person suffer and the wicked person, um, prospers? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make sense of all of that inside of today's era. Like you see a lot of people that are suffering, like an all time amount of suffering. Yes. And like uh, these people are are, mm-hmm. are suffering because they're righteous, or or this the will of Hashem, or it's like no, no, you know, no, is,
0: no.
1: That,
2: is that the will of I'm... of what's going on and yeah
0: go ahead. yeah so Joshua let's start with the following <clears throat> what Egemar is discussing is a person who's truly righteous well worked out and not causing self-inflicted damage Eiv did not talk himself into depression Eiv was not jealous to the point that he became sick Eiv was not pers- Eiv was a very very righteous holy man who for whatever reason Hashem was meted out a difficult life situation as a rule of thumb the righteous do not suffer. As a rule of thumb, the more righteous a person is, the better his life is, the better Hashem takes care of him. It is true that there are certain situations, rare, rare that they are, where a righteous person suffers. But if you look around, you'll find very quickly that the more righteous a person is, the better the quality of his life is. First of all, he's happy. And second of all, he's using the world properly, and he's using pleasure, but more than that, the way Hashem runs the world, you do what Hashem wants, He's going to help you do more. And if you don't do what Hashem wants, He's not going to help you. So the rule of thumb is, the righteous do well. The exception, Moshe Rabbeinu's question was, why are the exceptions? And why is it sometimes true that even a great Sadik will suffer? That there are various reasons for, etc. But the point is, that, as a rule of thumb, and the more righteous a person is, the more they enjoy this world, the more benefits they have in this world, and the more Hashem takes care of them, and the less that they suffer
2: okay and so then where for example where was uh, shlomo mele fall into uh, that category because he like um you know he experienced every pleasure in the world in kohelet he talked about how he he experienced every pleasure in the world um ever 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 um but but then he was also so righteous so i'm just like just trying to understand kind of like how <clears throat> that, like how a person can be so righteous, but yet, like, be so—I forgot what you called it—a baltaiva. so. A I, all
0: right. So let me let me correct that. In no right. sense was Shlomo Melch a, a baltaiva. It is true that okay. Shlomo Melch made certain errors, but he was an incredibly righteous, holy Jew. He was David Melch's son. He wrote Mishlei. He was a man of incredible stature. And by the way, Kehelis is one of the greatest books. <clears throat> that brings a person to recognize the folly, the foolishness of this world, the emptiness of this world, and <clears throat> the last, to psukim, Yiris Hashem, only fear of Hashem, only growing in that area is what's significant. That's the punchline of the entire Koh- Kohelis. So <clears throat> the point is Shlomo Melech was a king, and he was living a life of prosperity, and his point really in Kohelis was, all of this is vanity, because it has no meaning independent of service to Hashem. Independent, meaning to say, pleasure for pleasure's sake, as opposed to pleasures being used as tools. Do I know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I think. Oh, I see. So it's like actually using the tool for the tool's sake versus what, like, the tool was designed for. The pleasure, what the pleasure exactly, was
0: for. as opposed Sorry. to the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake. Hevel ha hama ha all this vanity and emptiness, meaning anything you're going to pursue for its own purpose is vanity, it's empty, it's foolish. The only purpose of it all is to serve Hashem. And again, that's the punchline. In the last two p'sukim, last two verses of Kohelis, he sums up the entire purpose of creation and, again, the the pinnacle, the point of of the whole Kohelis. Right.
2: Okay. All right? Yeah.
0: Okay, Josh, good hearing from you. Okay. Okay, I want to say I must call on one second. I must call on Edward. Edward, shalom aleichem. How are you feeling? Oh, you? I feel good, Rabbi. Thank yeah? you
3: very much. Yeah, and I have so much pleasure in my life <laughs> I never had before. I just came from. Edward,
0: I got to stop you one second. Tonight, tomorrow, the next meal you eat, I want you to stop and enjoy the food. I want you. To, I want you to know something. There's a schmooze I say as often as I can. I call it the orange schmooze, and it's about the pleasures of this world. I say it as often as I can because for a one week after I say that shmooze, I eat an orange differently, I eat an apple differently. And do it. Try that. The next meal you eat, I sit down and pay attention and concentrate and say, wow, look at the flavors and aromas and textures. This is incredible what Hashem has put into the world for me to enjoy. Okay, I'm sorry.
3: Absolutely, exactly. I've done it before because I, I read, I mean, I listened to the shmooze like a month ago. <laughs> Every time I'm eating apple now, I stopped the schmooze listening. <laughs> I enjoy every speck of this item. But uh, yeah. when I, was, I it was for two days, I saw what is the biggest pleasure there? Bowel movements. Uh,
0: yeah. Everybody
3: uh, yeah. dream for that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And now I pleasure. You know what? I am walking with a walker. And uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to walk with the cane. And then maybe in a month, I'll be walking on my own legs. How many people enjoy this? Right. Let me ask a question. And you know what? While I was suffering some, you know, uh, like heartburn, the the amount of uh, chemicals, the pills they gave you upset my stomach. But the relief came with another guy, the Jewish guy. (laughs) My roommate was overweight, Jewish guy, heavy smoker, diabetes, everything. And God, I don't know. He got such a rare disease. His uh, uh, muscle in the legs become rotten. And they right. should be removed. And after surgery, he was screaming from pain. Right. He was like, tubes fib- attached to his body with morphine, oxycodone, whatever. So I think um, the amount p- unhealthy pleasure he had, like a lot of cakes, make cigarette, it's accumulated. And then Hashem punish you with some kind of. Maybe. Out- <laughs> I-, I mean.
0: I- but you're right, by the way, these taking for granted those simple things like walking, you know, and we make a bracha every day. You know and make him they Hashem, you prepare the footsteps of man. We're supposed to think about the fact I can walk, I Hashem, you write in the crooked. I can get out of bed. And the fact that I have mobility, the fact that I have control of my arms and legs, I'm supposed to thank Hashem. We have a string of sixteen brachas we make every morning thanking Hashem for those basic pleasures, those basic benefits. The problem is you have to stop and pay attention and recognize them and, and understand them for what they are. By the way, a quick, quick point. On the Shmooz site, there's a series called um, "Pleasure: The Pursuit of Pleasure." I th- is that what it's called? I think I'm going to look right now. It's called "Something Pursuit of Pleasure." It's um, somebody. I hope Chef, uh, somebody here who knows this stuff better than. Wait, I said that Shmooz. I should know this. It's. Um, it is called "The Pursuit of Happiness." But in that Shmooz, I spent a lot of time on pleasures, on understanding pleasures, and <clears throat> Hashem wants us to use it's a very interesting sequence to tonight's. Shmooze, if you'd like to go to the Shmooze, either to the Shmooze app or to the Shmooze.com, you can find it under major series The Pursuit of Happiness. It's a Torah approach to appreciation, joy, and inner contentment. I think it's a very important series. I highly recommend it. Um, okay. Edward, thank you very much for joining. I'm glad to hear that you're better. Mitzvah Shem, you'll hopefully get shortly back to, back to table tennis. Bear,
3: warn, warn, warning for everybody behave yourself. Behave Make yourself. Less, exercise more.
0: I hear you, I hear you. The
3: day of is coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, very good, thank you. Thank- okay, thank you. Okay, I want to thank everyone for coming. One more time, again, if you haven't gotten a chance, if you'd like a pre-publication copy of the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes that Very Smart Couples Make, if you go to the theshmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, you'll see a banner on top, um, and you get a pre-publication copy. It'll be out in stores sometime in Rosh Hashanah time or so. But if you'd like to get a copy now, you can get it. Also, if you're not yet receiving, the, if you're not part of the WhatsApp, the Shmooze WhatsApp Kizit group, and you'd like to get, we send out inspiration, usually three, four times a week, short two-minute videos, inspiring, motivating videos. If you'd like to subscribe to that, please send it, please subscribe to 845-216-9330. On WhatsApp, if you just send, uh, please subscribe. So again, the phone number is 845 845- Two one six nine three three zero. We'll put you on the Shmooz WhatsApp group list, and you'll get that inspiration right to your phone. I thank you very much. Have a good Shabbos. Hope we'll see you next week.